Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. This is episode 164 of the show, and today we're lucky enough to be chatting with Brandon Bernanson from the Seamless.ai team. He's the founder and CEO. Brandon's got a lot of great advice. He's got an exciting story, and I definitely think you guys are going to enjoy this episode. As always, we hope you learn a lot. And before we jump into our sponsorships today, I got a quick message for you. You hate cancer, we hate cancer. You're fighting for a cure, and we're fighting for a cure. This is Pelotonia. The Pelotonia community has raised over $192 million, all of it for cancer research, every single penny. And the annual Pelotonia weekend is coming up on August 2nd through August 4th, where thousands of writers, volunteers, and supporters will gather together to help end cancer. With bike routes ranging from 25 miles all the way up to 200 miles, this community is truly unstoppable, and here at Conquering Columbus, we're inviting you to join them this August by visiting pelotonia.org or by making a donation to help fund life-saving cancer research. Donate today. Check out the links down in the show notes, guys. All right, we're almost ready for that episode, but of course, as usual, we got to take some time to give a shout out to all of our incredible sponsors here at Conquering Columbus. And that starts with Small Biz Cares. Small Biz Cares is a nonprofit found by socially conscious community leaders here in Columbus, and their goal is to connect, mobilize, and inspire small businesses to create lasting positive impact in our community. And Small Biz Cares members have the unique opportunity to work with like-minded businesses to raise money for great causes and participate in large-scale volunteer efforts and improve educational opportunity for youth in our community. To learn more, visit smallbizcares.org. That is small B I Z cares.org conquering columbus is also brought to you in part by the sundown group the sundown group is an ohio-based nonprofit helping connect entrepreneurs to everything they need including investors mentors capital and talent through business pitch events workshops and classes throughout the state and you can get more information on the web at sundownrundown.org and now i'm going to kick it back to josh to tell you about our last sponsor fmx FMX is a cloud-based facilities maintenance and management software founded and headquartered right here in Columbus, Ohio. There's a lot of competitors in this space, but FMX has made a name for itself, become the fastest-growing facilities maintenance and management software on the market on behalf of its extreme ease of use and tailored-fit approach to its clients. They serve industries ranging from education to property management, manufacturing, fast casual, and more. If you want to check out more, you can go to gofmx.com. All right, Conquerors. Let's get the show on the road. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment, and I might get, you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus. 
Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. Today on the show, we've got Brandon Bornanson joining us, and Brandon is a serial salesperson, two-time seven-figure entrepreneur, sales author, angel investor, and expert speaker on sales, marketing, and entrepreneurship, and he also happens to be the founder and CEO at Seamless.ai here in town, a sales leads company based in Columbus where they help companies maximize revenue, increase sales, and acquire their total addressable market instantly using artificial intelligence. We're really excited to have Brandon on the show today to talk about his journey and how Seamless.ai became what it is today. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, Brandon. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it, and thanks to the audience for tuning in. Yeah, it's great to have you here on the show. We're really excited. It's, it's always a good way to end the day with one of these podcasts, but uh, typically one of the places we like to begin is talk about your early life and career and how you got to where you are today, kind of maybe some of the main highlights before founding Seamless, and you're from Cleveland, Ohio, right? Yeah, 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 from Westlake, Ohio. You know, quick background, super easy. Family was broke. You know, mom and dad worked four jobs total, two full-time. My mom was a banker and worked at a grocery store, no college degree. My dad worked in construction and uh, computer hardware, like selling computers at Macy's. It was called Mako at the time. Pretty much super poor. I mean, like the lower class. Dad got a lucky break when he was selling Apple computers and PCs at Mako, which is Macy's. A sales executive from Computer Associates approached him, loved his sales approach, gave him a sales analyst role offer. Like, hey, do you want to quit Mako selling Apple computers at a freaking retail shopping mall and uh, join Computer Associates at the time, which is CA Technologies. So he joined, he took the risk, joined. He was the only, one of the only people ever hired at the time, like with no college degree. Um, so my dad like always had the fear of like getting fired because he had no college degree and then worked his way up from sales analyst over the next 10 years to become like the highest ranking VP of sales uh, to take the company to a billion dollars in software sales, which was really cool. So I saw my family go from super poor to super wealthy because my dad got into sales. So then uh, when I went to college, wanted to go into sales, attended Ohio University, joined their sales center. I got lucky, like a lot of people, entrepreneurs, I think will try to be like, oh yeah, like it was because of hard work and I'm the smartest person in the world. Like I played a shitload of online poker and I was approached by a few people that marketed for party poker, full tilt poker. They said, we'll pay $150 a person that you recruit. So then, um, you know, knocked on doors in my dorm, recruited a bunch of people, made a few thousand dollars. Then I went like scaled it from dorm building to building. First year it did a million dollars in sales. Second year it did three million. Third year it did uh, six million in sales. And it was all like because of luck of timing, you know, 10, 12 years ago, 2004 to 2007, online poker was massive. Also Google didn't have a lot of regulations on paid search marketing for the gambling industry. So like you could scale online marketing for the gambling industry pretty easily. So like I got super lucky with the right time, right market, a lot of hard work, but that was like my first entrepreneurial endeavor. Then 2007, State Port Act, President Bush made it illegal to gamble online. So the market just like stopped. So I was like the richest kid in college. And I thought I was like the smartest entrepreneur because I made all this money. And then we took all the money. You know, I, I had a few partners that we launched the company with. We launched a second company called InMobile for the next three years. It was text message marketing in 2007, eight, nine. During the financial crisis, like we tried to sell this B2B text message marketing software and like couldn't sell more than 30 to 50 companies. Half of those companies were on the campus 
The other half were like nat vitamin water, Rockstar Energy drink, but they weren't paying like any money. So we lost like millions, ended up selling it to a publicly traded company called uh, Two Ergo, which is now Genesis, the call center software. Uh, I had to move to New York to open up their New York office. My partners went to IBM Interactive in Columbus, which was Resource Interactive. And after about another year in mobile, I'm like, I got to get the hell out of it because there's no money in it. I'm four years in not making any money in mobile. I wanted to kill myself. And Jake Phillips, one of my partners, he's like, hey, you should sell for IBM Interactive. So, you know, had the opportunity to do it, moved to Columbus from New York, uh, love Ohio. So like I was super geeked to move to Columbus and then sold for IBM Interactive for three and a half, four years for Nancy Kramer here locally. And then uh, after that, had an opportunity to sell for Google and, and Google's top search agency locally called Fathom Marketing and sold for them for the next three and a half years. When I was selling for Google and IBM, I couldn't find emails and phone numbers for the digital marketers. So we, I would write these checks, $150,000, $200,000 for my sales team and I to buy like, a, I mean, buy Zoom Info and Discover Org databases. And they were missing all the digital marketers because they mainly had IT people. And I'm like, fuck, I need to sell to these digital marketers. And then I would like crawl the web, I'd, I'd crawl social profiles, I'd be copying and pasting all this data. I'm like, we gotta automate it. So we built a prototype to automate finding everyone you need to sell to with our search engine. And then once we found everyone you need to sell to with the titles, we need to find their emails and phone numbers. So that we built a 10 step AI like algorithm to research, validate, and find emails and cell phones for all these digital marketers we need to sell to. After using the prototype, 10X my income, you know, went from making six figures to seven figures in sales, and then realized, hey, if I could do it, like anyone could do it. So we took all the money, I took all the money I made selling and, you know, sold my employer to buy licenses because they're like, how the hell did you, you know, make, you know, your quote is a million, you're doing 10, you're doing 20, you're doing 30. Like this is never before seen. How the hell are you doing it? I'm like, hey, it's because of Seamless, this prototype. I'll sell you licenses. So ended up selling licenses to my employer and the sales reps and then sold it to a bunch of other companies. And then that's when I was like, okay, I've got some sort of market validation. And then pitched it to Rev1, got some funding from them, and then quit my job, went full-time with all my own cash, limited funding from Rev1. You know, it took three years after that to build the seamless platform. Like, and we almost died and went bankrupt every year, like after. Because building a search engine, A, like you need millions of dollars to build a, a search engine, B, to find everyone's emails and phone numbers, you need even more millions of dollars. So I just underestimated the amount of time, energy, and capital it would take to build the platform. So just went through a ton of business partners, went through a ton of, like, you build it and you think you've got it nailed, and then the first year you realize it's not built for scale. Then you rebuild it again, smarter. And you think you got it nailed, but you don't have it nailed, and now you're in year two, you're out of cash. And like, you've got like one more year to nail it or you're dead and you got to go get a job. And luckily, like we nailed it the third time, found the right engineers. And that like that third year, uh, we finalized like really building out the platform. And in January of 2018 was when we launched. And luckily it's been like fast growth ever since, which is good, but it was like three years of hell rise and grind to get to that point, which, uh, you know, if I didn't, I had a 10 year mindset and luckily, thank God I had a 10 year mindset or else like 99% of people would have quit. 
So you go through these different entrepreneurial journeys that you went through. I mean, there may be three or four of them that you listed, and, and you get these ideas or you find these problems, and then you immediately turn them into ways to monetize them and make money off them. I think a lot of people struggle from making that flip to actually going out and making something out of the idea or whatever they, they see as a problem. So yeah. what do you think about you and your personality made it so easy to, to convert those things? I think it was because, like, I came from, like, a broke family, you know, like, at the beginning. I think I think it was coming from being broke, like, growing up, and then also, like, my dad just always supporting me to, to just, like, go all out. Like, if you're going to do something, go all out, go all in, and take the risk. And if you fail, it doesn't matter. And then, like, I just kept studying these, like, millionaires and billionaires, and that's all they did was take, like, massive risks. And they went all in on themselves. So, you know, at a young age in college, I was always studying these entrepreneurs. Like, Ryan Ellis wrote Zero to One, and he took eye contact to, I think, a $270 million exit to Vocus. And, like, I was studying anyone that wrote about entrepreneurs. Guy Kawasaki, and now Guy's an investor in Seamless. The art of the start. I studied these entrepreneurs when, when you know, twelve years ago, and there wasn't like a shitload of books out there on on being an entrepreneur, and it was always just about like, just just taking the risk, making the jump, and I got lucky because I did that like right away in college, so I saw how lucrative it could be. Now, the first venture went great. The second venture, you know, where I burned through everything I had, and like literally had to steal to eat in college because like I had no food. I had no money. Like I was like negative hundreds of thousands of dollars in my bank account. That's when I was like, I'm done with being an entrepreneur. I'm like, fuck this, I'm out. And quit, and that's when I sold for IBM and Google. I'm like, I'm done, done being an entrepreneur. Cause it was just a long seven years, three years of success, three and a half, four years of like hard grind. I'll call it a failure. The aqua hire acquisition, like made 50 to hundred grand. It was like no money compared to like what was lost. So um, I, I think like I just got lucky at the beginning. Like if I did that first venture and it, I didn't get lucky, I probably would never have done it again. But that gave me like, oh shit, I could do anything and like make it work. And then from there, you know, going into sales, you know, if you, if you know how to sell, you know, you could do anything. You know, all the, they say all the billionaires, all the millionaires, like all the self-made billionaires, they, their former jobs were, were selling. So like if you could sell, you could do anything. So I, I think I just got lucky with the, the early success. I was obsessed with selling and, um, and then merged that together. And then like my second company, I got really egotistical. Like the first venture, like 18 to 21, when you're making, you got a business where you're making millions in sales, like you think you know everything. And then what was awesome was I got my ass kicked, my second company from 21 to, to 23, 24. So like I, I got humbled, like, Leaving the first company, it was like, I know everything. I'm not going to listen to anyone. Like we got, we had investment offers from like Third Frontier out of Athens where, because I went to OU and we were running this company at OU and we were talking to investors in Columbus and like we just used all of our own funding to fund it. And like we had advisors telling us like, don't get a massive office space. And we got a 30 person office space. They're like, just run it out of your dorm. And like, no, we want everyone to know we're the smartest entrepreneurs. So like we got, you know, Everything that I, I highly don't recommend now, like we got this massive office space. We always cared about what the press talked about us. So we were so focused on like PR and people talking about how awesome our company is, even though we had no clients or very limited clients. And then we just kept losing every year, year after year to where 
getting my ass kicked within mobile taught me like to, to be hung, humble, be hungry, sell like a motherfucker. Don't focus on what other people think or see. Like the only thing that matters is sales and revenue and product market fit. And if you could build a product that delivers awesome value to the customer and you have to be able to sell it to a lot of people, that's what kind of that loss taught me. So I, th- I think that answers the question at a high level. Yeah, yeah. Vince Lombardi always said, never read your own press. So I think it's definitely applicable to all of us, right? Good or bad, it's never good to read it. Uh, but I guess what I'm curious about, you know, t- tying back into it, we talked a little bit about how you, you know, you leave Google, you found this AI scraping tool. Yeah. So artificial intelligence, right? Well, that's pretty complex. It. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You built this tool. Mm-hmm. So do you have that technical background? Did you work with somebody on your team? Did you have a technical founder you worked with? Yeah. Good question. I mean, so selling for IBM Interactive, you're doing like complex software development, digital marketing sales. Like I was selling global website development projects for like Kohler, Adobe, Google, Xbox, Microsoft, like these massive one to 10 to $20 million website redesign deals. So I didn't know anything about that stuff before working at IBM Interactive. And then like you just learn everything about the software development cycle from wireframing to design to like backend development, front end development. Cause I would have to write the proposals, work with the tech team, work with the PM team, work with the creative team, work with everyone to put together the hundred page proposal, then have to pitch it. Like I know what I'm talking about as a 24 year old or whatever, pitching to the CMOs and CTOs in San Francisco, in New York, you name it. So like that gave me the MBA of like how to build massive software at scale globally. And then when I was selling for Google, that's when I learned about search, like all the algorithms that go into the search. How does it work? Like, uh, you know, what are the factors in finding the data, relevant search results? Um, And then I just researched like, okay, well, I knew a lot about it at a high level. And then I would just research like, okay, well, if we wanted to build our own search engine at the core, what are the algorithms and the databases required to do that and structured and unstructured data? uh, And how do you gather all of that data and structure it and make it relevant and make it, you know, sorted and filtered in the right way. So I just took like every day, I would just read about building search engines. And like I bought all the books on building search engines. And like even though I didn't know half the shit that it was saying, you just like, if you don't know something, then you just Google it or figure it out. And then luckily at Rev1, I was partnered with an advisor, Mike Blackwell, who built and ran AOL Search. So, you know, he came from CompuServe and AOL, built AOL Search Engine. So he helped coach me. And then I brought in a CTO at the time. And um, we put together the like, the prototype and then extended the prototype. The problem with a lot of my partners in my experience was I kept bringing on like really young engineer partners or CTOs or or like VPs of engineers that thought that we would like in six months build the next Facebook or Google. And they had like, they they didn't have the, I had the 10 year mindset. Like this is going to be rise and grind hell for 10 years. And in the end, if we survive 10 years, we will have a great outcome for our customers, for us, you name it. But unfortunately, like when I was hiring all these young engineers, like they just had this mindset of we're gonna build something and become billionaires in a, in a year. So they, they kept quitting 
or like, or the engineering task was so freaking massive and hard and difficult that it exceeded what they even knew how to do. And because like the engineers that it really needed were like 250K engineers and they needed like three to five of them to where like after a year or two of trying to build it cheap mm-hmm. with like cost effective engineers, I was like, all right, I raised a few hundred K, got the right engineers, then built, this is the third year. So first year brought on an engineer, we tried to build it, got halfway there. He quits six, nine months in. Then I have to go find more engineers, bring them in. We have to redo it, rebuild it for another year. Then they quit or they don't make it. Then it's like, okay, this is it. This is like two years in, I'm out of cash. Now we've acquired customers throughout the two years. So like we'd acquire customers on the software. Then we had to shut down the software to rebuild it. So I'm like, okay, you know you're using the software to find emails and phone numbers for people in the search engine. Well, we need to rebuild it and we have to shut it down. So we're gonna manually find and build your list for you. So like after the first year when we had to shut it down for the second year to rebuild it, we sold all of our customers that will manually do it for them. That way I could still bring in revenue, still build it, and it was like it was like hell. I mean, like manually building like tens of thousands of contact lists every month. So we went through that process, and then that second year, that's when like we partnered with a few VCs, got funding, and then the third year, you know, we started seeing hockey stick growth with like the third iteration, and then that's when we raised a few million dollar seed round, and then um, you know now luckily we've got. 22,000 companies, you know, almost 25,000 companies on the platform. We're ramping closely to 10,000 customers. Like we'll hit cash flow positive here over the next few months. So now we have the luxury of like that hard work to figure out, do we raise a series A? Do we run it profitably? Do we go P route? You name it. So now we're just looking at the options. Like what would deliver the maximum value for the customer? And you go like West coast fast growth. Or do you go like more bootstrapped, which what we're used to East Coast, like profitable cash flow, smart driven growth. It's hard to balance those two, like, cause I'm a broke bootstrapped entrepreneur. And like, that's how I've always operated. I went through hell the past three years. So I'm used to doing like stuff that's like hustle, grind with no money, make it happen. But now that we've got this hockey stick growth, it's like, okay, well we know our CAC, we know our revenue. We know how many customers we're winning. We know like we could scale super profitably. So now we're like, okay, do we 10X the growth on paid ads? Do we 10X the growth on our outbound sales? And it's just that balance of like massive growth without profitability or with with break even versus like doing it profitably. And that part's like, I feel like it's hard to evaluate like what what's the right thing to do? And then you have to, you have market dynamics. You have like, competitor dynamics, market dynamics, acquisition dynamics, IPO dynamics. You have to analyze so much stuff, like it's crazy. So you're kind of at this crossroads where, you know, whatever decision you make over the next few months is really gonna choose the the destiny for your company and your employees. What size of the company is, is it today? Yeah, so I mean, the first three years it was like five people. Five people grind and, and and because I got my ass kicked with my second company, like we we ran the company in my house, so like we we operated in my house, 
Uh, we turned a bedroom, put four desks in it, five desks in it. And we worked out of my house. Then like it grew to like 10 people out of my house. And my fiance, like she's a rock star. She's like, you know, this is crazy, but I'm all in. Like, let's do this. So then we returned two bedrooms in my house because I didn't want to get office space. I'm like, that's just such a waste of money. I don't want to do it. But then like once we started scaling past 10 and then like we also were hiring a lot of women, like I felt a little awkward being like, hey, come over to my house and like, let's work out of my house. I'm like, uh, okay, like we may have outgrown my house. Like, like I've only got four bedrooms. Like we're, we go three out of four. Like, it's just weird. Like I felt like it was weird. People are like, have to come in, they have to take off their shoes. Like, like my development, like there were so many cars out of my house. Like I, we did not get reported by the HOA because my fiance was the president of the HOA, luckily. So like we had like 10 people working out of my house. And then like at that time we're like, no one could hear anything. Cause you get a, like half the team salespeople, like we're talking over each other, there's no walls. Uh, so then we scaled it quickly from eight to four, now we're at 45 to 50 people. And I'm trying to like just double the company as fast as possible. Like every year, like how do we double every year? To double, 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 as long as we're maximizing the value of the customers and figuring out how to do that intelligently without going bankrupt or without raising too much money and giving up too much equity. All right, Conquerors, we're going to take a quick break here in the show to tell you about a group called Columbus Gives Back. If you're looking for a way to get involved in your community, but you don't know where and how to start, look no further than Columbus Gives Back. By partnering with over 150 Central Ohio nonprofits, Columbus Gives Back makes volunteering fun and easy by offering 30 to 40 volunteer events each month that are free of cost, commitment, and hassle. Sign up for your first event today at columbusgivesback.org. That's columbusgivesback.org. Conquering Columbus would also like to take a moment to thank the 11th Candle Company. 11th Candle Company may be in the business of selling candles, but the social enterprise thrives on igniting hope. Employing women who have experienced human trafficking, 11th offers the resources to redeem, empower, and support them on their journeys to burn bright again. Every candle sold shines a light on an issue that often walks in darkness and provides hope to once trafficked women on their path to redemption. Come pour your own candle of hope at Polaris Fashion Place across from the Apple Store or visit www.11thcandlecompany.com. That's www.11thcandlecompany.com, and that'll be linked down in the show notes. All right, Conquerors, let's get back to this episode. Doubling every year in the environment we're in right now, which is very, very, very hard to find people. It's got to be challenging. So what are you guys doing to kind of pursue on the recruiting path, right? Keep the culture, number one. You're looking mm-hmm. for people that are in culture. So how, what types of questions are you asking? Who are you looking for? And in terms of balancing that, like how are you balancing the recruiting with going out and selling and all the other things you got to do on a day-to-day business? Yeah. And, and for the entrepreneurs listening, like, you know, I, I made a few massive mistakes at the beginning. Like at the beginning, I had so much money that I wanted to be the solopreneur and own all equity. And I totally fucked up. And any entrepreneurs out there that are like, hey, I want to own all the equity, like, and I don't want to bring on partners, or I just want to hire a VP of technology, or I want to hire a VP of sales, or I want to hire a VP of ops, whatever, and not give them any equity. Like, my biggest mistake, number one, was I made so much money using the prototype that I wanted to own all equity. And like, I'll never make that mistake again. Like from the get-go, I will hire a very intelligent VP attack, give them half the company. Or like a VP attack, I'd hire two to three engineers because my background's in sales and marketing. So like 
I didn't need a sales and marketer, right? I needed engineers that could build a search engine. And at the beginning, I made that mistake of like trying to pay for it. The problem is, is when you pay employees, even if you're giving them a few points or whatever, like they'll quit um, because they're just, they don't have enough skin in the game at that beginning to go through the hell that you have to go through. So like that's, that's the number one mistake I made building Seamless. And that's what caused me to lose two and a half years. Like I lost two and a half years that I will never get back because of that mistake. Uh, so, you know, just throwing it out there to all the entrepreneurs out there, like whatever you're not good at, hire and, and bring in business partners to build a hundred million dollar company or a billion dollar company. It takes a, a freaking army and you need a lot of really smart people. And then the second thing I would have done, but I listened to everyone tell me not to do it was hire an internal recruiter. Like, Everyone's like, no, it's a waste of money to hire a recruiter. Just hire a, an external recruiter to find the people, place it, and give them the 20% fee. The problem is, is like those external recruiters, they'll try to just find whatever sticks and just grab whoever. Like the first hire when I got my seed round, I should have brought in head of recruiting from the beginning. Because like every hire at the beginning is so critical. Every engineer is so critical. It will make or break your company. Every salesperson is so critical. Make or break the company. Every marketing customer success person at the beginning is so critical that like I should have hired a recruiter. Now I hired a recruiter about a month or two ago and like it opens up five to 10 X the bandwidth of all the people. So like anyone that, that anywhere from 300 to millions of dollars in funding, I would say the first hire you make is a recruiter. And then let them find all the best engineers, all the best people to come in-house and recruit. Because Hannah, our head of talent right now, I spend zero time on recruiting. And she's bringing all the key players, like our director of inside sales. It's 10Xing inside sales. Our head of customer success who came from, you know, the shipyard and jack threads and whatever, who knows high transaction software sales, like what we're in, like. You're just getting all of these key players instantly placed who are the perfect cultural fit, who meet all the checkboxes, who have all the intelligence, and it's not just some recruiter who's got 100 clients just trying to place whoever the fuck sticks at the wall. So like that, that would be my advice. Like That's how I solved it. We brought in a head of recruiting who's a rock star, and we're paying them more than we wanted to pay them to build this internal recruiting arm and like... When you're trying to scale a SaaS company, you're gonna hire a shitload of people all the time. Like you guys are probably always hiring sales, customer success, engineering, marketing, like it never slows down. From, from seed round and up, it will never slow down. That investment will always be worth it. Even in turnover, if you look at like two to four people that turned over because of a bad hire, like bringing in a recruiter that would have hired the right four people, like turnover, you're gonna burn 20 to 40% of the salary trying to replace, train, rehire, you know, you name it, onboard to where the, the two to three people that don't turn over because of the right headcount that pays for the recruiter, the internal recruiter. When I say recruiter, I mean like a talent acquisition manager in house. So that's how we do it. So it sounds like you got, you know, the mistakes in the past well thought out and you kind of know where you wish you would have gone, but. You're to a point today where you're comfortable, but you're going to find comfortable in terms of you, you feel good about the state of the product, but the crossroads you mentioned in terms of where the company's going to go is, is kind of uneasy. 
what else do you foresee over the next year being like a really big milestone for you something you have to overcome in order to reach the level of success that you want to be at yeah right right now like the product's phenomenal which is amazing and now we have to figure out like you know seamless delivers the world's best sales leads we find emails and cell phones for any professional in the world so our our tam is any b2b company with b2b salespeople and marketers like we will find your tam instantly every software company any company in the world wants to know who are all their prospective customers who are the contacts who are the companies what are their email cell phones and insights so like our tam is massive we could sell to smb's mid-market enterprise so right now and i know that the all of us on this podcast, we were just in a meeting yesterday at a SaaS roundtable, and we were talking about this. Like, I have to figure out: does the company go like all in on enterprise, like Salesforce.com, or do we go SMB mid-market, like HubSpot? Ideally, in my world, I want to do all. I want to do both. I want to be able to sell to the SMB and mid-market, and sell to the enterprise. And like, is that possible? Is that feasible? I mean, we're doing it right now. You know, out of the 22,000 companies and, and SaaS customers on the platform, like they're massive. Like, you know, you've got Google, Amazon, Facebook, IBM, Dell, EMC, uh, Oracle, you know, Slack, all, all these massive companies. And then we've got thousands of mid-market, 100 to 200, 100 to 500 employee companies. And then also startups, like anywhere from five to 50 employees. and we were just talking about this yesterday. Like I have to really have our team go through like a cohort analysis and figure out like, what are the highest revenue producing customers? What are the lowest churn customers? What are the highest growth industries? You name it. So we're at the crossroads of like, we can sell to everyone. We're selling really fast um, because our product is priced at $97 a month for unlimited sales leads per user. So like anyone can afford it. And that's another challenge we're trying to figure out, like, do we increase the minimum license count so that we can increase the ACV, the LTV? You know, because like we're seeing like there, there are a lot of companies that will buy 10, 20 licenses and just use those licenses for 100 reps. You know, like we're trying to figure out, like, how do we get all reps on at scale? And I, I think we'll figure it out as we go, because we've only been selling this product for a year and a half. And um, we're figuring it out fast as we go. Our conversion rates are really high from booked appointment to meeting held to closed one. We've got a one call close. If it's the enterprise, it's typically two or three call closes. I mean, you know, depending on the enterprise and how many licenses, like you go through procurement, you go through legal. So we're just trying to figure out what's the fastest way to get to $100 million in value, right? And, and to positively impact a billion people so running uh, the cohort analysis on all the, all the customers and all the users, I think will help define that. Because I don't have the exact numbers on, on how to do that today. I think that would provide, using data to tell us what to do and where to go is, is where we need it to be at. Yeah, it's always tough to back end into that ICP, right? That ideal customer profile is just so, especially if your data's not clean. Like here, we're struggling a lot backing into that number because our data historically isn't been the same yeah. so if you're not keeping that data the same from the time you start to the time you know you sell or whatever you do with your company right it's it's that not having clean data is going to kill that process it makes it so much harder so i mean i think one thing i've learned at fmx if you're an entrepreneur out there is, is keep your data clean yep um but i guess and analyze all your data 
Right, right, like, and analyze it. Yeah, analyze, <laughs> like profile every single customer and user on your product, you know, even if you're in retail, whatever business you're in, SaaS, retail, anything, like profile the customer, usage metrics, like high usage, low usage, no usage, login attempts, login over time, license count over time, churn over time, you know. I mean, now we look at all the data, you know, we use bare metrics. So like we've got the real-time revenue feed, churn feed, everything. Um, but I need to know exactly like what sub-industries, what industries, what employee sizes. And, and luckily Seamless has all that data. So it just reverse appends that data for our customers. But we're getting better at tracking like no usage, low usage, high usage, logins, all of that jazz. We're finally like parsing together because we've been running fast from five to 50 in a year, year and a half, to where we hired the customer success and product people to help bring that stuff together. Because right now it's like, hey, we get alerted that you've used a bunch of credits, we're gonna sell you on upgrading. And it's been like, kind of like the wild, wild west. We went from no inbound to now we get hundreds of leads a day. And like, it's just a a world that I've never been in. Like, Mm -hmm. I've never been in high transaction software sales. I've never been in a shitload of inbound versus like, I've always had to sell outbound seven figure deals enterprise. So it's like just studying like, okay, what do all these freemium companies do? Because Seamless is free and anyone can sign up for free. I've never done a freemium SaaS product before. So it's like studying Dropbox, Smartsheet, Lucidchart, Box.com, Loom Video, like Slack, like anything that you could study these these freemium models, uh, DocSend, and you just try to figure out like, what the hell did they do? How can I do it smarter, faster? And then use that data to inform kind of like where you're going. Mm-hmm. So how do you maintain culture and build a culture with remote, so many people remote and work in different yeah. cities? We, I mean, yeah, because we've got like half of our company remote. Like originally it was like local and remote. And like when I started the company, I just had to find talent wherever they were at. And there was no way I was competing with a lot of the local companies here. So I had to hire people anywhere in the US that I could find. And I mean, dude, with Slack, with Zoom video, like you just over communicate. And uh, it's been really easy for us. Like everyone's on Slack, everyone's all in on Slack. Like I got lucky because I built the company pretty much remote at the beginning and then scaled it locally to where we've got this local and remote culture of like, we do daily standups. Every department does a daily video standup. So 8.30 a.m., I've got an AE standup. 9 a.m., I've got an SDR standup. 9.30, I've got a software standup. 10 o'clock, I've got a marketing standup. So like, it's a pain in the ass because my morning is like shot every day with these standups. But then everyone knows what they're doing, how they're gonna do it, what they did yet the day before, what they're doing today. And um, they're super connected and then they go and kick ass all day. And then we're super communicative on Slack and on uh, Zoom. Also for remote employees, like trust was really hard for me because I got fucked over by so many different people, devs, salespeople, you name it. Like I had a CTO that I hired where like it was like my last 100, 150 grand I'm paying him. And I find out that he's also working the same time for another big company and was screwing me over. And like, I just got burned so bad that I'm like, okay, we're rolling out Hubstaff. Hubstaff tracks time, it tracks activity, takes screenshots of your, what you're working on. 
And like, it was just like, Hey, you want to work remote? That's cool. But you got to use hub staff. And it's not that I don't trust you, but like, it, like it's just a mutual respect thing. Like jump on hub staff when you're working, use hub staff when you're not working, don't use hub staff. So it's like Slack, uh, zoom video. And if you're remote, you got to use hub staff. You don't want to use hub staff, move to Columbus, Ohio. Just like we know if you're working in the office, if you're in the office, like fucking jump on hub staff. It makes a lot of sense in like having a program like that. And if you do, if you got a problem with it, like then, then go work somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, if if you get a problem with it, then like, Hey, that's, you know, that's a you problem, right? I guess. I mean, we have, the only reason you'd have a problem with it is if you didn't want people seeing what you were working on during the day. And, like, and that's sketchy. Right, yeah, it's just why sketchy. Do you like, not why, want people, why do you not want me like, to know what you're doing? If you're working on other shit besides what I'm paying you to do, <laughs> like, it shouldn't be done during work hours. Mm-hmm. And it's not that I don't trust you. It's just like the only role that you can actively manage with a high degree of data is like sales. Mm-hmm. Like sales, you know, calls, emails, social touches, pitches, deals, close one, you name it. Like it's the most visible role. Everything else is really hard to manage. Software development, marketing, customer success, you name it. Cause like I had, I had my VP of tech at the time, like he was slacking with me a lot. Yeah, while well, he's working on this other Fortune 100 full-time deal fucking me over. So like, I just have a high degree of, I'll give you massive autonomy, but there's a high degree of accountability and trust is built over time. Mm-hmm. Like you're a great person, I trust you. We're going to be using Slack, Zoom video, and Hub staff, and that's just the deal. And if that doesn't work for you, then go work for someone else. Well, Brandon, I think uh, it's kind of a good place to pivot towards some of our last questions of the show. And, and number one is always centering on goals. What are you guys' goals for the next 35 years? What are your personal goals? Yeah, I mean, over the next year, we want to get to a company that's it's valued at $100 million. You know, after that, in the next, you know, three to five years, it's it's get to a billion dollars in value and market value. You, our mission is to positively impact a billion people. You know, we we know building a company that's valued at at least nine figures does that. Like, I, when I launched Seamless, I was like, I've never built a. I've done ten million in sales before, and I've done a hundred million dollars in sales deals selling for IBM and Google. I was like, I've never built a startup that's that's valued at a hundred million. And like, so that's like always been my pillar since launch is like, I got to get to a hundred million dollar valuation. And like, I don't know if it's, it's not an ego thing. It's just like, I know if like, if I get to a hundred million dollars in value to investors or whoever, like we've made a really big market impact. And then we could also get a ton of investor money to keep building and investing and scaling the company. Right. And then after that, it's like, you know, go from zero to one, one to 10, 10 to a hundred, hundred to a billion. So, so right after that, it's like, once we get to hundred million dollar valuation, it's like, okay, how do we continue building this product that maximizes customer success to get the billion dollar valuation? And, and hopefully like, you know, just like I've never done a hundred million dollar company before. I've never done like an IPO. I think that would just be like, everyone gets rich on that deal. Like all employees, you know? So like, I'd love to get to an IPO so that all of our, our team members, not, you know, the 50 team members we've got and then anyone else that comes on board, like I'd love to make everyone that's on this deal with us like millionaires. Like the customers that are using the product, I wanna help them become millionaires. And then our team members that help build it want them to become millionaires. 
So um, just really focused aggressively on the growth and the product. Get to 100 million, then get to a billion. How have you found Columbus to differ from the other cities you're recruiting from where you have people stationed, stationed within? Yeah, I mean, so Columbus is awesome because the cost of living is so cost effective. The problem is, is like, there's so many like VCs now and startup, big startups now, like coming to Columbus or building in Columbus, like Root Insurance, a lot of drive capital companies. Like, you know, I love that drive capital's here. I hate that drive capital's here because like, they just raise so much money and pump it into their startups to where like they could take a lot of talent from you. Um, but Columbus is amazing. You've got the three to four colleges all in the surrounding areas. It's the 15th, I think, 15th or 14th largest city in the U.S. now. The highway, the highway system is freaking incredible. You get anywhere in 20 minutes or less. Like the economy here, the talent here is amazing. Like I, I was thinking about relocating to other cities and like, I was just like, dude, Columbus has, like when I was looking at the market and everything, I was like, Columbus has everything. Like we, we don't need to go anywhere. Like we're staying here. This is our headquarters. Now we've opened up offices like in New Jersey where a bunch of our investors are Amazon and Dun & Bradstreet invested in us and Newark Ventures. So we opened up an office in the Amazon building at, at Newark Venture Partners. You know, we've got an office, you know, in San Francisco to appease like the West Coast customers and investors. But Columbus has everything you need with the the great economy, the great schools. There's a, a ton of companies headquartered here. So you can get amazing talent, cost effective, but it's getting more and more competitive. Like it's crazy how competitive it's getting. And then we just use our software and we prospect the talent like crazy. Like Hannah, me, the, our team, like everyone full out blitzes, like any role that we have, like aggressively prospect that talent and try to get them excited about what we're building and then get them hired here. Well, Brennan, I think that's a good place to kind of pivot towards our last question of the show. And that's centered around the theme here on Conquering Columbus, which is live uncomfortably. And without telling you too much about why we chose that for a podcast about entrepreneurs, what do you think of when you hear the phrase, how does it apply to your life and the team there at Seamless? Yeah, I mean, you know, just, just my background, it's, it's been like go all in on, on you and yourself and like what you want to do and what you want to build. Like entrepreneurs out there, you have to go all in. Like I never had a plan B. Like when I did the gambling company when I was 18, it was all in on that. Like everything I own, all in on that. And it worked out great. You know, then I went all in on the mobile marketing company in mobile and like we lost everything. Like the good news is, is like when you're an entrepreneur and you know, like if you're really smart and you're an entrepreneur, like you could get a job anywhere in the world. So if shit goes bad, you can get employed in two seconds. And like, I just always knew that like, you know, shit went bad. Okay, go get a job, recalibrate. Like that's why I went into sales. I was like, it's like being an entrepreneur, but without the risk. And I can make unlimited income like an entrepreneur, but without any of the bullshit. And that's why I went into sales. And then like seamless, like going all in on building seamless. Like I had to leave a job where I was making a million dollars a year. I'd invest all my life savings into building seamless. It, you know, I didn't pay myself the first year. Second year, I paid myself like 14 grand and I was used to making like a hundred grand a month. Like that's living uncomfortably. Like my fiance is a lawyer, you know, like, you know, she was doing well, I was doing really well. And it's like, hey, if we do this, like this is gonna be a massive change in lifestyle. And it's like, whatever, like, like I always just worked hard to make a shitload of uh, 
sales, really. It was just like, I just always loved, like I love sales. So I was just always all in on like, when I was making that type of income, it wasn't about like having flashy cars, houses, whatever. I always lived below my means because I got my ass kicked running in mobile. So like I knew like, live like you're broke. Like don't, don't worry about what people think. Like don't get the mansion. Don't get the, the Lambo or the Ferrari. Like don't worry about any of that bullshit. Like sell, make a lot of money and invest in, in, in you. So like living uncomfortably is like making a lot of money and then risking it all to go all in on like what you're trying to build. Or if you're not making a lot of money, risk it all and go on all in on what you're trying to do. And I would just say, don't worry about what anyone thinks. Like everyone told me, don't leave my job to go all in on seamless. Every single family member, except for my fiance's dad told like my family told me not to do it. My advisors told me not to do it. My, Anyone in my network told me not to do it. You're, you're crazy. It's not going to work. And like, you just can't listen to it. You just got to like, you just got to know that you're going to do whatever it takes to make it happen no matter what. But like it was rise and grind seven days a week for years, three years. I mean, I'm still working seven days a week now because I just built that habit that like I can't get out of that habit now. Now like I'll go take off like, I just don't like not doing anything lazy like on Saturday and Sunday. I just get fucking bored. Like if I'm doing anything but building Seamless or selling Seamless or trying to make this amazing product, like I just hate it. Like I don't want to be at the pool partying from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Like I just would rather be building Seamless. That's just like my life's purpose. So I think living uncomfortably is just going through the hell. I want everyone to like realize and think that it will be hell for three, five, 10 years so that no one quits because 95 to 99% of the entrepreneurs I know quit because shit gets really hard and they underestimate the amount of time, energy, capital and work that it will take. But because I personally never underestimated that, I was able to go through hell, live uncomfortably, live way below my means and just learn, fight, do whatever it took to find the people, find the product, build the product, do the engineering, do the strategy, do the design, do the sales, you name it to be successful. And I think that's what being uncomfortable and living uncomfortably and, and doing the uncomfortable is what it's all about. Perfect. Well, Brandon, that's a great answer. And thanks a lot for taking the time to join us here and tell your story and the story seamless on the podcast. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Awesome. And, and also for all the entrepreneurs out there, what, what referral code should we use to, to hook the audience up? Uh, that's a good question. We can do uh, conquering Seabus. I don't know how long your uh, referral codes are, but we'll definitely post it down in the show notes once we. Uh, yeah, let's do let's do conquering Seabus or conquer Seabus in the yep. referral code. We'll create both. Go to seamless.ai, world's best sales leads. Join for free. Use the referral code. We'll hook you guys up with hundreds of additional free sales leads. So if you listen to the show, tune in. Uh, sign up, use Conquer Columbus or Conquer C Bus. Conquer C Bus. I like Conquer C Bus. So yeah, Conquer C Bus. Yeah, nice and simple. And uh, we'll hook you guys up. Thanks so much for tuning in and connect with me on anyone. You know, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. I post every day about the hustle, about sales, about entrepreneurship. So I would love to connect with all of you on on LinkedIn and join Seamless and make a lot of money and tell me about it. Yeah, well, you heard the man, guys. So check out the links down in the show notes. Again, Conquer Seabus. And uh, thanks so much for tuning in. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode with Brandon. We'll talk to you next week. Hey, Conquerors, that's it for the episode today. 
Hope you guys enjoyed that episode and learned a lot. If you did, make sure to leave a like. Share us on Facebook with your friends. We really appreciate all your support. And every time you share our podcast or leave a review on iTunes, it really does help us out. Before we let you go, we want to take one last moment to thank all of our incredible sponsors here at Conquering Columbus. And that starts with Small Biz Cares. Small Biz Cares is a nonprofit founded by socially conscious community leaders here in Columbus. And their goal is to connect, mobilize, and inspire small businesses to create lasting positive impact in our community. Small Biz Cares members have the unique opportunity to work with like-minded businesses to raise money for great causes and participate in large-scale volunteer efforts and improve educational opportunity for youth in our community. To learn more, visit smallbizcares.org. That is smallbizcares.org. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit helping connect entrepreneurs to everything they need, including investors, mentors, capital, and talent through business pitch events, workshops, and classes throughout the state. And you can get more information on the web at sundownrundown.org. And now I'm going to kick it back to Josh to tell you about our last sponsor, FMX. FMX is a cloud-based facilities maintenance and management software founded and headquartered right here in Columbus, Ohio. There's a lot of competitors in this space, but FMX has made a name for itself, become the fastest-growing facilities maintenance and management software on the market on behalf of its extreme ease of use and tailored-fit approach to its clients. They serve industries ranging from education to property management, manufacturing, fast casual, and more. If you want to check out more, you can go to gofmx.com. If you could drop me anywhere on the planet, in any environment, and I might get you know, my head kicked in, in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, yeah, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus.